Hello everyone, Jose here. I'm delighted that we have Gary Brashears again, sharing part two of this message on uh, spiritual conflict and how we respond to real evil and real demonic things going on in our world. If you missed last week, please, after watching this one, go back. Or if you're watching both later, uh, watch the first one first. But Gary's a dear friend of ours as a church. Uh, he's a mentor to me. I did my degree in theology at Western under his leadership. And he's not only gonna share from theology and the Bible, but from practical experience, how you and I can engage in spiritual conflict and find victory through Jesus. Gary, share the word of God with us. Well, we're back. Last week, I did a biblical theology of the spiritual conflict. And I began there with a story of a guy that came to me just talking about some stuff in his life. He had some trouble in his marriage and just normal stuff that you come talk to pastors about. And in that process, when we got into it a little bit, he just said, you know, Gary, there are just these times when I'm just overwhelmed. And I just find myself saying, I should be dead. At least I find something going on at that level. Well, that's what I want to talk about this week. We talked last week about this biblical theology of warfare. We're created in a war zone and we're there as blessable image bearing covenant partners who work with God to create communities of generosity, justice, peace, love, faithfulness, those things. And that in this doing good, we're actually doing conflict with a devil who's into despair, deception, death, desecration, and when we do good, create beauty and generosity and justice, we're actually engaging in warfare with the evil one. He fights back, as we saw with Eve, through deception that makes us distrust and distance from people. And we looked at how God has come in Jesus to win that victory. And that's where I want to come back as we continue our exploration of scripture, Colossians chapter one, so grab your Bible, grab your device, or watch here on screen. And I just want to take us through some biblical theology of what to do when stuff like this happens. I just think I'd be happier dead. Okay, Colossians chapter 1. We look at this, and we see here, if you are here last time, you remember the answers, but what are the two kingdoms here in this passage? What are the two kingdoms? Okay, if you are here last time, you saw that. Uh, you've got the, the kingdom of light, which is also the kingdom of the son he, of his love. And then you've got the dominion of darkness. And everybody begins in the dominion of darkness. And he, that is the father, has rescued us. Start here. Father rescues us over into the kingdom of light. Authority here is Satan. Authority here is the devil. Authority here is the demonic powers, the rulers and authorities and powers of Ephesians 6.12. The ruler here is a triune God. And in this, the kingdom of the son of his love, we have redemption, freedom, forgiveness. Great, 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 great blessings. Now, critical point, critical point. For somebody who's wrestling with demonic attachments, demonic oppression, whatever, demonic deception, I'm not in the dominion of darkness anymore. I'm not. I'm in the kingdom of light. 
And over here, I'm freed from the authority of Satan, the demons, no matter what vows, no matter what promises, no matter what lies I believed. Let me show it to you. Colossians chapter 2, okay? Let's come down here, and when we look at Colossians chapter 2, beginning at verse 13, here's the beginning point. You are dead in your sins. That means we're over here in the dominion of darkness with death as the heritage, one of the heritages, condemnation, depravity, despair. You were dead. Now, he's talking about believers. You were dead. Now, in this passage, there are seven things that are true about every believer. And now, here's the thing. When I talk to somebody who has a demonic oppression, a demonic attachments, and I'll tell you how we find that in a minute, the first thing I have to do is help them understand who's in charge. That's the first thing. So Colossians chapter 1, not in darkness, am in light. Not under Satan, am under God. Okay, now let's unpack that a little bit further here in Colossians 2. You were dead, seven things that are true of every single believer. Can you see the first one? We're going to look here through 13 through 15. Can you see the first one? Sure. God made you alive with Christ. You were dead, separated from God. That's what I mean by spiritual death. God made you alive with Christ. What that means is that that relationship with Christ that was broken is now restored. That's the redemption, forgiveness of Colossians chapter 1. God made you alive with Christ. Not by ourselves, but with him. Okay, number one, you're alive. And ask the question here, made, past, present, or future? I know, Mrs. Johnson, my 10th grade English teacher, lives in my head. Past, present, or future? Yeah, past. <clears throat> is it a command, fact, promise? Command, fact, or promise? Yeah, it's fact. Okay, past, present, or future? Past. Past used to be true or past still true? Yeah, it's a past, fact, still true. You're alive, number one. What's the next one? What's the next one? I mean, you can read it for yourself. That's the whole point. We're going to go exclusively to what God says. He, who is that? That's God, forgave us. Same thing, past, present, future. Yeah, command, fact, or promise. Yep, past, fact. Past, used to, yeah, past, still true. Forgave us what? What? What's the word there? Say it with me. All our sins. How many sins are forgiven? All. Now that, on one hand, you know, when I go home and see my pretty wife later today, um, can I just sin against her? Can I go up and just slap her or something? <laughs> Not that I'm inclined to do that, but if I did, would that sin be forgiven? In one sense, yes, in another sense, no. 
is taken care of at the cross, but the relational would have to be still taken care of. He forgave us all sins in the kingdom of light. No sin can be unforgiven as far as my relationship with God is concerned. I am always child of God. No sin is unforgiven, is what this is saying. See, that's critical because Satan says, you sinned, you die. Well, how is that not true? Because sin does lead to death. The Bible says it. See, Jesus, well, look at it here. Made you alive, forgave us all sins. Look what else happened here. He did what? Canceled the charge of legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. Where did that charge of legal indebtedness come from? That's sin. The soul that sinneth shall die. If you can't do the time, don't commit the crime, in the old adage. If we sin, the context, consequence of that is the punishment that comes with it. And what this is saying, having canceled the charge that would lead me to be separated again from God, that's canceled. So first is alive with Christ. Second, forgave all sins. Third, canceled the charge against us. Fourth is what? Taken it away. Taken what away? This charge that puts us under indebtedness. He has taken it away and took it to the cross. Now I think about this, this charge of legal indebtedness is actually like a handwritten list. And that handwritten list is all the stuff I've ever done. And you can talk to my pretty wife, it's a pretty long list. She will tell you about some of them. I don't have any secrets from her, uh, but, oh my gosh, long list. That handwritten list, according to this, has been taken to the cross. The picture I look at it is when Jesus went to the cross, what was tattooed on his body was that charge of legal indebtedness. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. So what's the first thing that's true? Made alive, forgave all sins, canceled the charge of legal indebtedness, taken it to the cross. What's the fifth one? What's the fifth one? Mm -hmm. Disarmed the powers and authorities. Those are the heavenly powers we saw in Ephesians 6.12 last week. Disarmed. See, and here's what the demons do. Because you did this, you owe me. Because you did this, you opened yourself up and I have access to you. Because you did that, you have to do what I do or I get a right to punish you. And all those voices come from the demonic realm. And what he's saying here is, no, <laughs> they're disarmed. If you don't do what I tell you, I'm gonna hurt you, the demon says. They're disarmed. See, that's the truth. He made a 
public spectacle. Now, the picture here is a conquered general back in the Roman times being literally dragged through the street to show his defeat. That's the picture that's here. He made a public spectacle of them. He exposes them as defeated enemies. So what's the first one? Yeah, made alive. What's the second? Forgave all sins. Yep. Third, canceled that charge, taken it away to the cross, disarmed the demonic powers, made a public spectacle of them, exposing them for what they are, and then finally triumph over them by the cross. Seven things true of every single person who's alive in Christ. And so what I do when I run across, I'll just call this guy Bill, is I want to get this truth in him. He's not under the demonic powers. He doesn't have to do what they do. They don't have access to it. Oh, they'll, they'll deceive him. But see, here's the point. They don't actually have any authority or right to do what they're doing. They get it by deception. They get it by deception. And that deception can be really subtle and really, really, really powerful. Uh, my son, Don, brilliant kid, easily bored and hated having anybody look over his shoulder and criticizing him. Now, my son is, he's a middle-aged man now, and he, that's still true, that's still true. But as a high schooler, he hated being bored. He hated somebody criticizing him. So he graduated from high school and joined the army, peacetime army, this is like 1989. And I said, Don, I don't think that's gonna work out real well. He looked at me with that look and he says, Dad, I'm 18, I can do anything I want. I said, son, you're right. He went in July to Fort Sill, Oklahoma. So you think of Fort Sill, Oklahoma in July, what do you think of? Sweltering heat, high humidity, and he's in boot camp for the Army. And all the PT and all the breakdown stuff they do. Uh, Don actually did fine in boot camp. He was in good shape. He had been on swim team and that sort of thing. Uh, and the stuff they have him do, he loved team stuff and really enjoyed making things go bang. And he let, got to do a lot of that. And he actually did well in boot camp. Uh, and, but it came to the end of that time. They had a graduation ceremony. Well, let me just this. Who's the most important person ever when you're in boot camp? Well, there's only one person that counts. That's a drill sergeant. And what does a, what does a boot say to a sergeant, drill sergeant? You say, sir, yes, sir, with the right attitude. Now, let's say the sergeant comes along, sticks his nose in Don's face and says, give me 50. What does Don do? He says, sir, yes, sir. And he's on his face doing 50 push-ups. Now, what happens if he tweaked his shoulder doing PT yesterday and, yeah, Sarge, could I like do 25 instead? No, 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 no. Sir, yes, sir. And you're on your face doing 50 push-ups. That's just the way it is in boot camp. You learn to be under authority. And you also learn how to get around authority, but Don was already good at that. He grew up in my home. I, well, let's say he graduated and he did. And he now has orders to Fort Lewis, Washington, 
so he could be close to Susan, who's now his wife. And let's say that same sergeant comes up to him, sticks his nose in Don's face and says, Sergeant, sir, no, says, soldier, give me 50. What does Don say? See, that's where the deception comes in. Because the demons come in, try to scare us, try to do on our past history. And if we believe them, we're on our face doing 50 worthless push-ups. But if we know the truth, we just smile. Not under your command anymore, Sarge. Don't have to do 50 push-ups. Why is that? Because you're alive with Christ, forgave all sins, canceled the charge of legal indebtedness that condemns us, no condemnation, taken it away to the cross, disarmed the rulers and authorities, the demons are disarmed, exposed for what they are because of the triumph over them by the cross. So when a demon comes along, the foundational authority is to realize you're disarmed. I don't have to do your stuff. You don't have right to do that to me anymore. Okay, now, how do you recognize demonic things? Well, sometimes it's really easy because the demons, I mean, people know some cases because they've called up the demons. They, they've played with them. Maybe they come out of a, a heritage of demonic worship or maybe they've gotten to messing around with them high school and college and seeking thrills because demons will give you thrills for sure. Uh, sometimes it's that. And I've had, I had one woman come to me a while back and she had gotten involved with a thing when she was in college and uh, she had been living for 20 years with a demonic oppression. And she told me, she described the demon. She told me where it was. It was like here. Uh, I mean, there's no doubt about it. Other people like Bill, the story I'm telling you, oh man, I don't know what it is. I just get so overwhelmed. I just, like, I just, why don't you just die? Well, here's what I do. I have people listen, I, I listen to the stories really carefully. And when I'm hearing despair or death or those kinds of things as a part of the story, I listen really carefully. I listen for three things. I listen for an accusing voice. I listen for an oppressive presence. And I listen for a history of occultic involvement. Now in Bill's case, as we work through things, I mean, I've already into the story here, and he's talking about, yeah, you know, it just, just overwhelms me. And I just probe a little bit, and yeah, it's just like there's a, there's something just telling me, why don't you just kill yourself? You'd be, the world would be better without you. And in his case, he was an accusing voice. You're actually a detriment to humanity. You're actually a liability to your family. The world would be better off if you were dead. That was the voice he was hearing. That's an accusing voice. That's what Satan means, is that accusing voice. Other people, it's an oppressive presence. And it may be, uh, well, one guy, again, a story, real story, I'm disguising the details. He was doing some incredibly self-destructive stuff, incredibly self-destructive stuff. And as he was telling me his story, what he was ended up saying was, I don't know what it is. I just, it's just not me. Well, what do you mean it's not you? Well, see, that's an oppressive presence. Something else was taking over 
his personality in a real sense. And it turned out to be demonic or just history of occultic involvement. So what I do when I find something like this, first thing I do is what I've just done with you. I come back to scripture and I walk people through. I have Bill read his Bible out loud, simple interpretive questions, kind of like what I've done with you here. And I want him to understand that he's not in darkness anymore, he's in light. That the demonic powers are disarmed, that they're defeated at the cross, and that the triumph belongs to Jesus. He doesn't have to put up with them anymore, okay? Then what? Then what? Well, Matthew chapter 4. Because Jesus, who is a believer, faces the devil. And what I won't look at what the devil did, because his tactics are nasty. I want to look at what Jesus does. <clears throat> Jesus answered to his accusation, it's written, man shall not be loved by alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He knows what's happening here. There are quotation marks. He is quoting from the Bible. So Jesus is quoting from Deuteronomy. And this quote, quietly or aloud? Yeah, aloud. He said... Is he speaking to himself, the devil, or to the disciples? To the devil. So that's the first step here. I want Bill to speak scripture out loud to the devil. Statement of fact. This is standing firm. Step one. So that's what Jesus does. Does the devil give up? No, he doesn't. He quotes scripture back badly, to be sure. What does Jesus do the second time? Oh yeah, same thing. Speak scripture out loud to the devil. Stand firm on the truth of God. It's actually a, a weapon. It's the, it's the word of God. We see that in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. The, the rhema, the spoken word of God, is the sword of the spirit. We speak scripture because it's true. It's God's word. Did the devil give up? No, not exactly. <laughs> what did you do the third time? Same thing. So speak scripture out loud to the devil, to the demon, and do it as a confident statement of fact. Why? Because you're standing on truth. But Jesus does something else too. What does he do here? Command, fact, or promise? Yeah, it's command. Quietly or out loud? Out loud. He speaks the command to the devil, get away from me. Get away from me. Now, you don't have to scream about it. In fact, I encourage people not to. The way I say it is I use my teacher voice. And there's a certain command that's based on my authority as a teacher. And I just it's just there. I'm not trying to pressure him. I just... I have the authority. And because the demons are disarmed, we have the authority. Because we're not in darkness, we're in light, we have the authority. That's the point. That's the point. That's the point. See, that's the heart of what's happening here. That's the heart of what's happening here. Speak scripture out loud to the devil. 
stand firm. Command the devil or the demon to get away. And we do it because we're in Christ. We don't do it by my authority. It's not my emotions. It's not my power of personality. It's the fact that I stand in Christ and I stand with that authority. You get away now in Jesus' name. I don't have to say in Jesus' name, but that's the reason behind it. Now, there's a third thing here. The devil left him. Did he stay gone? <laughs> no, he's going to be back. And angels came and attended him. Okay, that would be really cool after you have an encounter with a demon is you get angels to come and attend to you. I've never been able to do that, nor do I have any friends who are able to do that exactly. So what I suggest here is do Jesus-y stuff. Jesus-y stuff. What's that? Well, it's things like sing worship songs. It's things like pray. It's things like call a Christian friend. and It's things like do something good in the name of Jesus. Don't leave your attention on the demonic side. Take your attention back to Jesus and make it active. Do something. So, speak scripture out loud to the devil. Command him to get away in Jesus' name. Then come bring your attention back to Jesus. That's what I did with Bill. That's what I did with Bill. Because when we began examining, and I asked him, is that accusing voice, is that you? Or is that something else? Because we all have negative self-talk going, every single one of us. Is that you? Or is that something else? Now we're looking in the name of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. I can't tell from the outside, but he can tell from the inside. And I watched him kind of poking around and that's not me. That's not me. How did he know? We just, when you look in the name of Jesus, you just know. I said, well, if it's not you, what is it? And his, I mean, he was a believer. Could I be a demon? Could be. And has he begun to realize that this voice that had been raking him over the coals, condemning him to worthlessness, telling him the world would be better off with him gone, he realized he had been giving a demon authority in his life. Didn't have right, but he had been giving it there. And he got mad. So what I did, I said, Bill, here's what I want you to do. I will pray with you, just setting the stage, and then what I want you to do, quote scripture out loud, tell the demon to get away, and we'll end up doing some Jesus-y stuff. Now, what scripture? We just looked around a little bit. It wasn't hard. He used the Colossians chapter 1. Uh, he actually used several passages that were meaningful to him. I said, okay, here's what I want you to do. And I just prayed simple prayer, truth prayer. Bill is a child of the Lord most high. Satan has no authority. Demons have no right to harass him like this. Holy Spirit, will you guide and empower Bill to do the spiritual work? And he began looking inside, because by this time he knew where things were. And, you know, it could be inside, outside, whatever. And he spoke those words. I had him do it out loud. And partway through, he couldn't do it out loud anymore, just quiet. 
but I could see a struggle going on. So I began praying quietly. And his struggle went on for, I don't know, four or five minutes. Clearly, and suddenly I just watched him relax. And he looked up at me, but he wasn't looking at me, and I just waited. After a little bit, he, his eyes kind of focused in, and he looked at me, and whew, I said, what happened? And I watched him kind of poking around inside, and he said, it's gone. I said, what's gone? He laughed. He said, the demon. And so we all started laughing. Well, his wife was there with him. Uh, and we were laughing. It's God. Yeah, it's God. Rejoice, you know. And we started doing some Jesus things. His wife was a singer and she started singing. And he joined and we did too. And we prayed. And I just, we just rejoiced. See, that's, that's what it's about. And then what I said to him, I said, Bill, what are you going to do if the demon comes back? Oh, I don't want it to come back, he said. Well, came back to Jesus. What do you do if it does come back? Oh, because I'd written some stuff down on a piece of paper. I've got the answer right here. Bingo, I said. Same thing. Made alive. All sin forgiven. Legal indebtedness canceled. Disarmed. Nailed to the cross. Disarmed. Exposed. Triumph. Colossians 2. We just went back and rehearsed that. See, and that's the methodology. Details vary a lot. That's the methodology, but it's based on the truth of the gospel that comes in Jesus Christ, who came to crush the serpent so that we can have that victory. We can experience the freedom, the forgiveness, the hope that comes from being a part of the kingdom of light. That's a journey worth following. That's a journey worth following. Let me just pray. Lord. We've covered a lot of ground here quickly. And I just pray for people that are watching that may be wondering, gosh, could I have a demon attacking me? Lord, the truth is that you are victory. The decisive victory has been won at the cross. We can stand in your victory and learn wisely and well how to apply that in our lives. And I pray for the community here at 26 West that this would be a community where people can find freedom find forgiveness, find hope, and find the joy that comes through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit to the glory of the Father. In that triune name I pray, amen. Go change the world. Once again, let's read as we prepare our hearts for communion, Colossians 1, verse 21. It says, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. And the good news is, and the reason we celebrate communion every week is we are reminded of God's great love for us in Jesus. And so, yes, there are things going on that we don't understand. Yes, there are forces at work that we don't see. But as we heard again from scripture this week, Jesus is our victory. And because there's opposition coming against us, we ought to lean in on Jesus, not just on Sundays when we take communion together, but every day of the week. 
And so together as a family, wherever you are, grab the bread and, and grab the cup. Let's pray and ask God to be our defense, to be our victory, even to open our eyes, I would say, to the things going around us and to give us the power of the Holy Spirit to live out the victory that we have in Christ. Lord, we believe that you have divided that wall of hostility, keeping us from one another in full love and keeping us from you. And Jesus, you are our victory. Lord, you know how the enemy is trying to come against us. And Jesus, we invite you, even as we remember you in eating the bread and drinking the cup, to stand with us and for us, empower us, Holy Spirit, to see the opposition and to claim the victory that is in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's eat and drink together.